Turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, and we're just going to really look this morning at verses 11, 12, and 13. We want to talk about a, a, a great subject, in fact, one of the key subjects from the Bible, and it's the idea of grace. It's a powerful truth from God's Word. Now, let's think about grace for a second. Grace is unmerited favor, and that means that's something given to you that you didn't earn, that, that is just unmerited, that is just given to you. And we understand that God deals with us in grace. Now, if we said, let's just study grace it could take some months. We could have four, five, six different messages probably putting together the whole issue of grace. But what we're going to do this morning is just, just touch on it, just get a little bit about it. We found that grace is so important because it affects, the whole idea of grace affects our salvation message. How we look at grace also affects how we live the Christian life. And the whole issue of grace, how we view the future. So all of that ties together. There's a lot of controversy throughout history on the church concerning the issue of grace. And what is grace? And how does God deal with us? And it's so misunderstood. There are a lot of people who talk about grace, but they don't really mean grace. They will say, well, it's the grace of God, but. And they always add the but in there. And they'll say, what's the grace of God, but you have to. And before you know it, they've got works in there. And so we're going to talk about grace. And we're going to talk about grace for salvation and the Christian life and the future and all of those things. And so our focus is going to be on the grace of God because God is a God of grace, a gracious God. Look at this verse, Psalm 116 says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. He is a God of grace. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 31 says, For you, O Lord, are gracious and compassionate. So this morning we're going to just briefly take a look at grace. What do you think of when you think of God? You know, there's a lot of ways that people look at God. Some people think God's sort of mean, that he's like big and powerful, and he is, he's big and powerful, but they look at him like he's mean and that he's up there and he created this world and just looking at people and he's really looking at people to make a mistake for the people to mess up because all of us sin and come short of the glory of God and it's sort of like God is mean and powerful and he's just waiting for people to mess up so he can judge them in some way. And a lot of people see God as a judge that he's going to judge them. But some people, they see God as kind of the grandpa. He's like up there in a rocking chair kind of going back and forth and, you know, he's just so nice and sweet and, and if you can come to him and he'll, you know, give you anything and there's no really issues and, and some people see God. But then other people see God, they, he's a giving God. I mean, he's supposed to give you whatever you ask for. In fact, if you do the formula, you have to have the formula right, but if you get the formula right, God is obligated to give you whatever you want. In fact, if you'll get this thing like, let's get two or three people together, and whenever two or three people together in my name, there he'll hear us and do it. I mean, people take verses out of context like that all the time, and they say, well, God, you know, he's the giving God. And then some people think about God as the watcher God, meaning that he sort of created it all, and he puts it all together, and then he just kind of sits back and watches, and every now and then he might do something, but he just sort of leaves it alone. Well, what is God really like? I mean, we can be thankful that we have the Word of God that actually tells us about God, that gives us his attributes and describes them. When you think about God, God is a God of love and justice and righteousness and holiness and truth, and he's all-powerful, and he's everywhere, and he knows everything. And we could go on and on and on. This morning, we want to highlight grace. We want to focus on God's grace. And the one reason I wanted to do that is because grace is so misunderstood. There are churches that have grace in their title and they're not grace. So I just want you to think about the idea of grace. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about what is grace. We're going to look at grace in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Then we're going to look at God's grace and respond to, to, to three big areas. And then we're going to look at our response 
to the grace of God. What, what should we do? How, how should we think about it? So we're just going to just touch on this. So let's start with just the grace. What is it? The definition, it is unmerited favor. It is getting what you do not deserve. Grace is that God gives us something. We think, when you think of grace, if somebody gave you a present, you know, you did, you know, it's just a gift, and that's what it is. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. When you think about it, there's three words that sort of stand out in the Bible. One is justice, mercy, Grace. Justice is getting what we deserve. You know, people say, I want justice. The truth is this, we do not want the justice of God. Because the justice of God, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, and we're supposed to be separated from God forever. So we don't want the justice of God. God poured his justice out on his son, Jesus Christ, who took our place. So God is a just God, but we don't want justice. We want mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve to be separated from God forever. And yet, in his mercy, he doesn't make us be separated forever. He's provided a way that we can be with him. And the third thing, there is the word grace, which means getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve anything. God didn't look down at us and say, they're so sweet. He didn't look down at us and say, they deserve everything. We all like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. We're doing our own thing. So God's not looking down saying, oh, they're just wonderful. We're going to see that God's grace is definitely undeserved. In fact, all grace is undeserved. God gives us. Think about a birthday. It's your birthday. What do they give you? They give you a present. They say, here's your present. It's a birthday. You go, oh, thank you. What'd you do? Nothing. Your mother did it all. I mean, let's face it. I mean, she ought to get the presents. But anyway, the bottom line is that's what grace is. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's, it's getting, it's, it's all. Look at this right here, Romans eleven six. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Listen, you can't have grace and works together. You can't say it's the grace of God, but. I've heard people say, uh, if God wants to save you, it's all of his grace, so you need to do the following things. And they live four or five things you have to do, and it's not by grace through faith. It's something else. So remember, if it is grace, Romans eleven six, it's no longer on the basis of works, because otherwise grace is no longer grace. All you have to do is have one work, and you don't have grace anymore. In fact, uh, grace and works, they can't go together. Romans 4, 5 says, The one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is what? Credited for righteousness. Grasp grace. It's hard to grasp it. Because we, we don't live that way. We think, you know, what, what do you get? You don't get something for nothing. You got to work hard and do this and that. You know, that's called rewards. Grace is a gift given. Grace is free. And I want you to understand this. You've got to grasp this whole idea of grace. Well, let's talk about it and as far as grace in the Old Testament and grace in the New Testament. There's a Greek, uh, excuse me, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament is the word hen. It means a gift. It means something that's freely given. In the New Testament, there's the Greek word charis, which is the same thing. It means to be something freely given. The root word for gift comes from this word. So the grace of God is really a gift. That's what it really is. When you think about grace in the Bible, the word grace is used 170 times in the Bible. It's used 131 one times just in the New Testament. When you think about it, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, when it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, when God picked Noah, he didn't pick Noah because Noah was great. God picked Noah because God picked Noah. There's the grace of God. And the Bible ends with Revelation twenty two twenty one, where it says, the grace of our Lord be, Lord be with you. God deals with us in grace. And we got to grasp it. And, and, and most people don't grasp grace. Even, even people who understand that we're saved by grace through faith, they don't really grasp the grace of God. It's so amazing. So let's think about it. 
And let's look at God's grace in three ways. We're going to look at it in the world as a whole. We're not talking about people, but the world. Then we're going to look at mankind as a whole. And then we're going to look at believers. So those three things. Now, as we think about the grace of God, I want you to think about what he's like. Look at these verses. Exodus 34, 6 says, God, you are compassionate and gracious. Nehemiah 9, 17, God, you're a God of forgiveness and grace. Psalm 111, 14, you are a gracious God. Psalm 145, verse 8, you are gracious and merciful. There are 50 places in the Psalms in which the writer says, Oh God, be gracious to us. Grace of God. So let's think about God's grace because it's often overlooked. It's often misunderstood. We'll see it. Let's start first with the world. And when I'm talking about the world, I'm talking about the creation. God made the world. It's in his grace. He didn't have to make a world. In the beginning, God, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know from Colossians, all things were created by him, through him, and for him. Everything was created for Jesus Christ and by him. He sustains the world. Every aspect of this world holds together. If you want to, you can go find somewhere and you can look up and it'll say, what time will sunrise tomorrow and what time will be sunset tomorrow? They already know it. You know why? Because God in his grace has an ordered system. He keeps the world going. We know that we're going around the sun. All of those things, God does it all. God is a gracious God. He didn't have to do that, but he created everything. And you know what he does? He feeds all the animals and takes care of the birds. There's one of the Psalms that says that he has this, the river coming down through the mountain, and that's so that the deer and the, and the animals can come eat, and that's so the birds, the trees, and he takes care of them. And he actually says to us, listen, if he cares about a little bitty bird, he cares about you. He cares about the little bitty birds. He cares about everything. It's his creation. It's the grace of God that he created, that he is the sovereign ruler over his creation. Let's talk about people, people as a whole, mankind as a whole. We're talking about whether believers or unbelievers. God, in his grace, creates every person. Each one is unique and special. Now listen, this it doesn't matter whether you're a believer or not. Every human being was created, Psalm 139, created in their mother's womb by God. It is his grace that he made each one of us unique and special. You know, when you're a teenager, you want to fit in. You want to be just like everybody else. You want, you know, they got a hat, you got a hat. They got to wear their clothes a certain way. You want to wear your clothes a certain way. But the truth is, doesn't mean nobody will ever be like you. None of us are the same. God created each individual one unique and special. And that's his grace. And you can actually say, hey, there'll never be another me. They won't. There'll never be another one like you because you are unique and special. God, in his grace, created. In fact, that Psalm 139 says he weaves us. It's like a tapestry. He weaves us together to bring us into this world to be like we are. And so we look at grace and we go, wow. But think about it. It's the grace of God we're not consumed. The Bible actually says that. It's the grace of God that he doesn't destroy us all. See, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin his death, and if God chose to, he could kill every one of us, right? In fact, even as a believer, as a believer, if you sin in your life, is God just in saying, if you're going to sin, I, I, can, I can kill you, I can put you to death, because the wages of sin is what? It's death. But in his grace, he doesn't do that. See, he's a gracious God in every aspect. God loves all people. He created all people. And look at this, all people bear the image of the living God, a God of grace. Well, that takes us to the third part, and that's about believers. 
and we see the grace of God in our lives. See, all of us in this room, I hope and pray that all of us in this room, we have put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. We've trusted in him to give us eternal life. We are God's children. We come into a relationship with him, and we we want to understand the grace of God. Let me tell you, the grace of God is often missed, and the grace of God is often misunderstood. And people say grace, but they don't understand it. We can, I heard a person one day say, you know, it's the grace of God by which you're saved. And then he said, and so you repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus and walk down an aisle and make a public profession. And he listed four or five things that they had to do. That's not grace. They don't understand. If it is grace, it is no longer what works. Our grace is no longer grace. And so we got to understand that it's often missed. There's so many people who'll say grace of God, but they don't understand it. We could go in this community and we could ask somebody. We could say, listen, let me ask you a question. If you were to die, you think you'd go to heaven? And most people would say, I'm pretty sure I would. I think I would. And then you say to them, why? And they say things like, because I've tried the best I can, or I've gone to church, or I've tried to live a good life. They, they don't understand grace. Listen, God is so perfect, and we've got one sin. And if one sin, one sin separates us. So there's not one thing we can do. We can't say, if I try real hard, then God will look down and say, that's okay. No, it's the grace of God. It's often misunderstood. It's often overlooked. So we want to look at the grace of God. And I want us to look at Titus 2, 11, 12, and 13. Let me read the verses for you real quickly. Look at verse 11, Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared. And then notice what he says. Bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. This verse, this passage starts off by saying, the grace of God has appeared. And then it talks about three things. In verse 11, it talks about our eternal life salvation. In verse 12, he talks about our Christian life salvation. And in verse 13, he looks like, talks about our future aspect of salvation. So if you look at it this way, in verse 11, salvation says, grace of God brings salvation to appear to all men. He's talking about the salvation, which is redemption aspect, what we'd call Christian life salvation. Then, I mean, excuse me, eternal life salvation. Then in verse 12, he talks about the Christian life salvation. He says we deny ungodliness and live righteously. That's from the grace of God. And then he even talks about the future, and he talks about the future hope, and he calls it the blessed hope and the appearing of glory of our God. And so we want to look at that, and we're going to go briefly, but let's look at the first one, which is verse 11. He says, the grace of God has appeared. Here it is, bringing salvation to all men. The first thing we want to talk about is God's grace for salvation. And when he says the grace of God that brings bringing salvation to all men, he doesn't mean all men are saved. He says God has planned it, worked it, where he can save all people. He's brought it away that mankind can be saved. The Savior has come into the world. You realize this, that very go, you go all the way back to the beginning, and God says, uh, when mankind fa- fail, God said, I've got a plan. The seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. That's the grace of God. He didn't have to save mankind. He didn't have to save us at all. In fact, I want you to think about this. There's two aspects when we think about the grace and salvation. First of all, grace in sending a Savior, and then grace in being saved. Let's talk about grace in sending a Savior. God in his grace has provided a Savior in the garden when he told them, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they ate from the tree, and they fell, and they ran off and hid, and he came and found them and brought them back. And he could have said, that's it. I'm starting over. You're dead. You're gone. I'll just, do, I'll just start over. He could have said that, but he didn't. He said, no, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work out a plan to save you. In my grace, I'm going to provide a way. It's called the seed of woman who will crush the head of the serpent. God has, in his grace, has sent 
a Savior. Jesus said in John 14, now go to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't that way, I will tell you. In my Father's house are many rooms. And he says, I'll go to prepare the place. When I get it all ready, I'll come back and I will get you. It's the grace of God. The grace of God. That he's, he's, the, he's the way and the truth and the life. That's the only way. Look at this right here. 1 Corinthians 1.4. I thank my God always concerning you. Paul writes to the Corinthians. Why? For the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. See, God in his grace has given us his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus left the glories of heaven. Galatians 4, 4 says, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son born of a woman. Jesus Christ came into this world. It's the grace of God that he sent his son for us to die for us, to pay for our sins, to be our substitute. Hebrews 2, 9, notice, for that by the grace of God, he might taste death. Jesus might taste death for Every person. God so loved the world. That's the cosmos. That's the unbelieving world, the fallen world, that he sent his only begotten son. First John 2, 2. He's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. It is the grace of God that he sent a Savior. Do you understand that? Because one sin. We all come into this world dead and trespass and sins, but one sin eliminates us being good enough to get to God. And in his grace, he says, I have provided a Savior for you. It's my grace to you. That's the first thing. The second thing is grace in being saved. We're saved by grace. It's not works. It's not our goodness. Listen, if it was works, none of us could measure up. If it's works, none of us could do enough. And we could even say, well, how many works do I have to do? And there are people out there who actually think that. They think you've got to be good enough to get to heaven. And so they're trying to figure out how many works do they have to do? How long do they have to be good? How much do they have to be good? And y'all know that before I trusted Christ my Savior, I thought is you did more good than bad, you get to heaven. So I always tried to do two goods for every bad. That way I thought I was ahead of the game. And see, that's what people realize. They, they, they think, people think that you're saved by yourself, by your goodness. We are saved by the grace of God. It is not our works. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. So understand, we're not saved because what we do. We take the gift of eternal life. And we're saved that way. It's not on the basis of our actions, but on the basis of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. Now, I want you to realize this. You're going you're gonna to begin to understand grace. We understand grace in salvation when we realize we could trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and have eternal life and never serve him or do anything. Being saved is a gift. If we do anything, it is not a gift. I want you to understand something. That as a believer, listen, the goal is when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you're saved and saved forever. We want you to serve him. We want you to live for him. We want you to do things. But your salvation and the gift of your salvation is not based on your faithfulness or service. And so the truth is this. You could believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and never serve him and you still have eternal life because it's the gift to you. It's not based on you. There are people out there who teach and say, yes, 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 it's all the grace of God. However, if you don't serve him, you never were saved. Or they say, if you don't serve him, you lose your salvation. Your salvation is not based on your service. 
Your salvation is not based on your faithfulness. Your salvation is based on the gift of God that he gives you when you trust in Jesus Christ to give you eternal life. That is salvation. And you grasp it when you begin to say, there's not one thing I do, there's not one thing I have to do, there's not one thing I have to keep doing, that the moment I trust in Jesus Christ and I believe in him, he gives me eternal life as a gift. I don't earn it. I don't gain it in any way that way. I have life forever, no matter what. You're understanding grace for salvation when you grasp that. Look what he says. We are justified by his grace. Okay, that's salvation. Let's talk quickly about Christian life. What about grace for our Christian life? Because now we trust Christ as Savior, and, and we, are, we have eternal life, and it's a gift. Well, what does he do for our Christian life? Look at, look at verse 11. He says, he basically, verse 11 starts by the grace of God has appeared. Then you go down to verse 12. The grace of God has appeared instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly righteously and godly in this present age. The grace of God teaches us. What does it teach us? It teaches us to deny ungodliness, don't live ungodly, and to live righteously. It is by God's grace that we get to live that way. You know what he does for us? Think about this. First of all, he provides for us, Philippians 4.19. He protects us, Hebrews 13. He gives us spiritual gifts, First Peter 4. We can come boldly to the throne of grace anytime we want to about anything. He's given us all of those things. In fact, 2 Peter 1.3 says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. But I want to I focus on two things. By his grace, he has given to us so that we can live the Christian life, so that we can deny ungodliness and live righteously and godly in this present age. What has he given us? Two things. He's given us the word of God and the power of God, which is the Holy Spirit. He's given to us the word of God. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. He's given to us God's word that we can know. It is his grace. Listen, he didn't have to give us the Bible. If you were Abraham, guess what? You couldn't say, what does the Bible say? There wasn't any Bible. Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to captivity to Moses. Moses wrote the first five books. You understand from Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Judah to Moses, there was no written revelation. He didn't have to, he didn't have to give us the Bible. We've got, the, we've got the entire Word of God. That's the grace of God. He's given us in a written form the Word of God. Do you remember when Peter was on Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration and he saw Jesus and he saw Moses and Elijah and he said, well, why not build three booths and y'all stay here? And then the, the Holy Spirit, I mean, then the cloud came over and the Father said, this is my beloved Son, whom I will please listen to him. Later on, Peter writes and says, we saw Jesus on top of the mountain. He said, well, we got something better than seeing him on top of the mountain. We've got the word of God. God in his grace has given to us the scripture. And so we can say, what does the Bible say? It's the grace of God. We have the written revelation. Written revelation, it says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. First Peter says, to, uh, to, uh, grow, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere miracle of the word. His second thing he's given us to live this Christian life is the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, the Father will give another helper. That's John chapter 14, verse 16. And in chapter 16 of John, he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he'll do certain things. Philippians says that I can do all things through who? Through Christ who strengthens me, not me. It's not my strength, it's his strength through us. God's grace in the Christian life. What are we to do? Well, 
Second Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. And of course, Titus 2 says that the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly. Let me ask you something. Do you want to serve God because of what he's done for you? The answer is, of course. When you see the grace of God, that he saved you forever, and he's put you in this world, and he's given you the Bible, and he's given you spiritual gifts that he provides for you and takes care of you, and he loves you beyond what you could imagine, the grace of God. Do you want to live for him because of his grace to you? answer is yes. See, some people serve God out of fear. They're afraid they're going to lose their salvation. We serve God out of love and grace. It's powerful. It's the grace of God. Now, I've got something I'm just going to, I'm going to go through this very quickly. But there are five things that I just put down five. There could be a hundred things. But there are five things that we are taught when we look at the grace of God, okay? Here's the first one. The Christian life is not a set of laws or rules. It's not. We live by the grace of God. We're not under law but grace, Romans 6, 14. There are people who come to God by faith in Christ, by faith, and then they put themselves under a law system trying to live the Christian life. Christian life is not a law system. It's not the Mosaic law system. It is not a set of rules that you live by. In fact, the Christian life is called the law of Christ, and the law of Christ is called the law of love, and you love God and you love others. They're not all those rules. Love God, love others. Now, there are commands in the Bible, and we know those, but that's not a law system. We're not under a law system. The second thing is, we have the power to live for God. That's what we t- grace of God teaches us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against spirit, spirit against the flesh, in their contrary one to another. We can live. Live in the power of the Holy Spirit. The third thing I want you to think about is we're to deal with each other in grace. It's amazing that we love the grace of God in our lives, but we don't always show grace to other people. In fact, we want to show a lot to other people. You better line up to what I think or else. And that's not how we deal with people. Second Corinthians 9, 8 says we give to one another. We love to one another. Uh, Paul actually talks about that God's grace was sufficient for how he dealt with people and himself. And then we proclaim the message of salvation, which is a grace message. We've said it over and over, by grace you are saved through faith. Salvation is a gift. It is not works. You can't add works in there. When we go out these doors, you've got to be very, very clear. And last, the fifth one is that we serve one another in grace. I love this verse, First Peter 4.10, as you received a gift of God, that's grace, then use that in serving one another. That's what we're to do. So by grace, we have the power to live for him. By grace, we get to serve him and, and using the gifts and talents, it's all powerful. That takes us to the third thing, and that's verse 13. That's grace for the, for the future. It says, the grace of God has appeared as we're looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. We're looking for him coming. It's called the blessed hope as we're looking for Jesus Christ to come back. And by the way, he didn't have to come back. It's his grace. He's going to come back and get you. He didn't have to come back and get you. He actually said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go prepare a place for you and then I'm going to come back and get you. That's his grace. He didn't have to. In fact, if he didn't come back and get you and he carries on with his program, you know what you go through? You go through the tribulation. If he carries on with his program, because there's seven more years that he's got for the Jewish people, it's called the tribulation. It's called the great tribulation. That's going to happen in the future. But he's already said to us in, in the grace of God, I'm going to come get you and take you out of here. He doesn't have to, but he is. 
We're looking for, that's why it's called the blessed hope. It's the grace of God that teaches us to look for the blessed hope. As I said a while ago, he's gone to prepare a place for us, and when he gets it ready, he's going to come back and get us. In First Thessalonians, he says, the dead in Christ, the Lord's going to descend from heaven with a shout, with an archangel, and the voice of God and the, trum- and the trumpet, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we who are alive and remain to be caught up together with him. That's his grace. He doesn't have to do that. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. In Philippians 3, he says he's going to come back and get us and change our bodies. And in a moment of twinkling eye, we'll be changed. Look at this right here. May, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. The hope is the hope that, we don't, that we're going to be delivered out before the tribulation. That's what he's talking about in Second Thessalonians. Look at this right here. In order that in the ages to come, that's the future, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says in the future, he's going to show us his great grace as he comes to get us in the ages to come. We think about grace, grace for salvation, by grace through faith. We think about the Christian life, by grace in God's word and God's power. We think about the hope in the future. It is grace to be with Jesus Christ. All of this is based on the grace of God. I hope just by even thinking about it today, you'll begin to say, wait a minute, I really need to look at the grace of God. Because sometimes we say grace, but we actually put works in there, or we put something else in there. So let's talk about our response. And this is going to be some applications. The first one is this, let us trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, I know most everybody in this room, but there could be someone not only watching on Facebook are in this room that has never trusted in Jesus Christ. You've never understood the grace of God. You've always thought that maybe there's something you've got to do if you've got to try to be the best you can or maybe you get baptized or join a church or make some kind of public profession or do something for God. I want you to understand that it's all the grace of God. He so loved you. He sent his son to die for you. Jesus died and rose again. And whoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. So right where you're sitting, whether it's at home somewhere or in this auditorium, you can right now put your faith in Christ for eternal life. It is a gift. It is not your works. It is not something you do. It's not something you got to keep doing. It's not something you got to hang on to. And in the grace of God, he says, I will give you eternal life and you will never perish. Grace of God. So maybe someone in this room or someone listening right now would put their faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. The second thing for us is let's share the message clearly. I know it's Christmas time and we think about the birth of Christ and everything, but we can go out and we can tell people what Christmas is really all about. It's not about Santa and, and, and the presents and everything else, although that's all wonderful. Christmas is about the birth of the Savior that God gave, that's his gift, to the world, Jesus Christ, and whoever would believe in him would never perish but have eternal life. We've got the greatest message of all, and it's free. I mean, this time of the year, everybody's looking for a bargain. Oh, well, let's see if we can find a bargain. I'll give you the greatest bargain of all. Cost absolutely nothing. It's free. It's called a gift. It's called a gift. The third thing I want us to do is think about let's live in God's grace. Think about it. The God's, God's power to live and to serve. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Word of God. And so we live in the grace of God and live not in fear, but live in love and grace, knowing what he's done for us and what he's given to us so that we can live, so that we can deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and we can live righteously and godly in this present age. And it's, it's all grace of God. And then last but not least, let's base our hope on the grace of God. You know what's coming? He's coming. It's his promise. It's his gift to us. It's his grace. He didn't have to come get us. 
But he said, I'm coming to get you. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to get it ready. When I get it ready, I'm going to come get you so that where I am, you will be. That's his grace. And so we eagerly anticipate. We're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we praise God for his wonderful grace given to us. And by God's grace, we are saved. By God's grace, we live. And by God's grace, we look for Christ's return.